0: Welcome to the In Pursuit Podcast. Here we aim to inspire, inform, and entertain. We explore the human side of the workplace lifecycle. From education and career choice, to employee engagement and organizational culture, from onboarding and retention, to succession planning and separation, we dissect the latest trends and interview the top leaders changing the game through their impact, leadership, strategy, and operations. Whether you hail from the field of education, nonprofit, or business, you're sure to find nuggets of knowledge within these episodes. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the In Pursuit podcast. Today I'm here with Crystal Whitaker. She's a leadership development and DEIB consultant specializing in inclusive coaching and consulting for brands and leaders that care deeply about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Crystal brings over 15 years of creative, relational, process-driven experience across multiple industries. She's a self-described corporate-trained creative hippie who puts a strong focus on core values to help people elevate their community connections and communicate and lead with clarity and confidence. Crystal is an advocate for leaders and organizations that provide resources and support for healing, particularly in relation to trauma and sexual assault survivors, and previously served on the board of Survivor Lit. When she's not working, she enjoys spending time at the beach, connecting with people, and exploring new places. As a fun fact, Crystal loves animals and will stop to show them affection any chance she gets. She is that person who will always ask to pet your fur baby. When you choose to work with Crystal Lilly Creative, you're helping to support organizations that provide resources for women and the LGBTQ plus community as a portion of the profits and services are donated annually. It is my great pleasure to be here today with you, Crystal. Awesome, well, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm really excited to dive in and, and hear more about your story. Um, start us off with the question of the day, which is tell us something interesting about you that we didn't just hear in your
1: bio. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. I, I love getting to just talk with people. Yeah. <laughs> um, something interesting that's not in my bio. Um, I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that I'm actually kind of a country girl at heart. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, uh, I love living in the city, I like the convenience of everything that comes with the city, but oh, just the peace. And quiet in the middle of nowhere is unmatched. I actually grew up like playing in the woods and playing in the mud. And I've had every animal just about imaginable. So yeah, definitely country girl at (laughs) heart. Oh, I love
0: that. It's funny. I grew up kind of in a a suburban uh, surfer type town and, but very much around a lot of um, kind of Southern roots. And my parents, when they retired, moved to a lake house in very rural Georgia. And I, I joke it's five miles down. This is not a joke, actually. I joke about it, but it's actually true. Five miles down a dirt road through a pecan orchard, wind your way down, and you open up into this like beautiful oasis that is their lake property, which has like an outdoor kitchen and a hammock area and a cabin and a main house and all of these things, right? But when you're driving down the road, especially the first time I went to this property, I was like... Where are we? And now every time I go, it's more like, ah, <sighs> like something about it, right? Something about the the juxtaposition between city life and um and kind of country living Mm -hmm. and kind of wide open spaces or just the quiet, slower pace, right? There's something special about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't love it so much as I started to get into that like prepubescent age, Mm -hmm. but I definitely have a deep appreciation for it now. And I grew, I grew up down many of dirt roads. So I understand that whole picture that you just painted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so very uh, interesting, really. I, I think that
0: like, I never thought I'd do anything, be anything, but a city girl, but something shifts. Right. And I don't have kids. So a lot of people say it shifts when you have, when you have children, but I don't have kids. So it just had to shift naturally for me into what is the ebb and flow of, of life. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have kids either. So I I understand. I'm just like, I I think I did so much in my twenties and now I'm just tired. Like (laughs) Don't ask me to go to a bar or go to a club. Right. I'm I'm here for like picnics and game night. And I want to be starting to wind down by like 30, 10 o'clock.
0: <laughs> yes. yes, for sure. I'm with you. I know I have a very strict bedtime, but we also wake up at 4.30. So I like the bedtime is real for me because if I don't get enough sleep, I'm just not, I'm not a human the next day.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. See, and that's my issue. I might be winding down at nine 30 or 10 o'clock, but I'm actually a night owl. My brain clicks on. Ah. I get my best writing done in the middle of the night. And then I torture myself by only getting five or six hours of sleep a few times a week. It's, it's a really bad habit. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. But, but I do you know, have to my go best with it right? work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know,
0: in, in Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, she talks about creativity as a tiger. It's like this illustration. And the tiger runs at you, and you can either like see it face on, jump on its back and go, or you can like hesitate, but then decide you're you're gonna go with it and grab its tail, or you can just watch it run right past you, right? And it'll never be back. Like creativity is definitely a moving beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and writing a book myself, I had a lot of ebb and flow of figuring out when, when could I get into that creative zone to do that? And for me, it's actually super early in the morning. Uh, Um, so we wake up at four 30, we go work out. And as soon as I get back from working out, like unshowered and everything, I have to sit down and write, because that's where my brain is like, ah, let's do this. Right. Um, and I have to figure out how to do that before, you know, the rest of the world wakes up and wants to be in meetings and, and such things. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, at times we just have to allow that tiger to come in when it does right? embrace Embraces.
1: Yes. I agree with that. Yeah. I'm not doing anything really before eight, 9.00 I AM. I don't have like this 9.00 AM is my earliest conversation point. It's my earliest like, okay, my brain is starting to click on. I'm not writing anything at six. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much how my, my brain starts to tick off about five or six. Okay. Like no, there's no creative writing happening after six p.m. for me. <laughs> like, is it dinner time? Is it bedtime? <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about your work and and all the the work. And you had an interesting acronym in your bio. It's it's uh, let me make sure I get it. DEIB for belonging. And I love that um, so much because I think that so much of people feeling valued in the world, whether that's a workplace or your relationships or home or just your place in this world is about belonging. So talk to us a little bit about those, like that element of those four together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Belonging is a big one for me and I'm not the only consultant who uses it. Mm -hmm. There are actually some consultants who uh, have an A on the end for accessibility as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But belonging is really big for me because A... I realized in the work that I do, which for everybody tuning in, I am a, I'm, I'm, I dub myself as an inclusive brand consultant, DEIB consultant, it kind of, it's a little bit of a mixture. And I work with leaders who care deeply about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging, of course. Uh, and my role when I'm working with people is really to get them rooted in their core values to help them create messaging and experience experiences for people that are representative of who they actually want to work with so that people do feel a genuine sense of belonging within the spaces that my clients are looking to create. So I'll work with people on their messaging. I'll work with them to help them identify and disrupt any bias that comes up on a personal, professional, and community level, and really make sure that their overall message matches the experience that they say they want to provide for people. And belonging is so big because as I've done this work, I've been doing it for a couple of years now, Um, officially, I should say a couple of years officially, but my clients, the number one thing that I found was that they were so worried about saying or doing the wrong thing. And we're talking about inclusivity and incorporating inclusive practices that are genuine to who you are and what you say you stand for people get really stumped sometimes in not wanting to make mistakes Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I found that is the most helpful is first really guiding people through like who are you what is your role in the world? What does that look like? Um, What do you truly value as a human being? And that helps people understand ways in which they can find a sense of belonging within themselves. Because you can't truly create a sense of belonging for other people if you aren't aware of how to create it for yourself. And that was a lesson that I even had to learn as as the consultant, because as I do a lot of my work, I find that I'm growing and healing and evolving on my own alongside my clients. I just you know I don't tell them that, <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> but I think I'm like, that's no, yes. true, right? I mean, I am also a consultant, right? And I believe that every time I get a new, I'm presented with a new challenge or a client asks me to do something that I haven't exactly done a hundred times, which, you know, I do some grant writing and that I've done a hundred times. I could do it in my sleep. I know exactly how to do it. And then there are these projects. I just finished doing an emotional intelligence workshop, which I've studied emotional intelligence. I've taught it at a college level, but I've never sat down with a group of working adults and actually tried to do an interactive workshop. I grew along with that. I grew developing the materials. I grew thinking through how to come up with relevant examples for Mm -hmm. them that were not college age examples, which is what I had in my notes, right? And so I think that that's supernatural. And I also think that your expertise continues to kind of multiply when you get
1: those opportunities. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even even as people are going through the work and the framework that I present to them, uh, especially when we're talking about identifying and disrupting bias, it can be really uncomfortable for people right. to uh, have those internal dialogues and then share those dialogues with me. And it's a matter of, okay, well, why do you, why do you think this way? Why do you believe the things that you believe? Who, where did those ideas really come from? And how much of it is actually yours? And how much of those beliefs are you also potentially internalizing and then projecting out onto other people? So let's work through that because there's so much healing involved in that process for everybody that I work with, that as they are going through it and they're doing their own healing, again, it comes back to, oh, wow. Okay. This is This is where I really belong within myself and where I belong in relation to the things that I truly believe, and they get a better sense of how they can create belonging for other people.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I've been doing a lot of kind of introspection lately about some of
0: the things happening in the world in general, um, from, you know, from kind of the invasion of the Ukraine to what I consider to be you know, uh, discriminatory policies that are kind of going rampant in some states around the nation. And I come from a, my early career was an advocacy, so I'm very attuned to to the dynamics of that. And one of the things that I have come to believe is that a lot of these things are, a lot of the, the blatant grabs at power come from a place of lack, right? It mm-hmm. comes from a fear within people that they need to latch on to these kind of exterior power grabs in order to fill something that's within them Um, and I think that's whether you're talking about a big you know movement of a lot of people or just internally to your everyday life right I think a lot of that lack of belonging is is comes from a place of like insecurity and lack and how do we help people feel a sense of their own power without having to take it from someone else right how do you grow it within yourself
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And okay. So this is where like my, my inner woo comes out. <laughs> I love it. People, people need to do shadow work. You really need to face the shadows within yourself. It's super scary. It's uncomfortable, but when you do that work, then you are really answering those, those questions that you're talking about. What is it that is you feel is missing within you that is unfulfilled, do your shadow work.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I'm actually, I'm writing a book right now, a, a memoir, and a lot of it is around my own shadow work, right? Mm-hmm. A theme, like getting to a point in my life where I look back and and kind of looked at myself in the mirror and went, who is this person? And it's time to like deal with a lot of this stuff. I um actually call it excavating my attic. So i have <clears> this mental attic, <throat> and I've put a bunch of boxes up there and I like to pretend that some of them don't exist or I like to let some of them gather dust. But in the end, like they're really heavy. And yeah. at some point my ceiling's going to cave in if I don't like excavate yes. that stuff and release it. Right. And, and I think that that's true to your point earlier about the expectations that we get from other people that we just decide point blank to
1: own without ever evaluating whether or not that serves us. Mhm yeah yeah and I, I think that we're at at this stage in time and society if you will where uh, the younger generations are really questioning all of these old ideas at <laughs> millennials and gen z um, and it's really awesome to see because it's almost like you, i mean you know how history it it constantly repeats itself right it's just always an evolved version that's repeating. And I think about my generation and the generation behind me and how people are not settling for the same ideas that the generations before us did. Mm -hmm. And it was the same for the generation before me. They were not settling for the same ideas. It's a constant evolution of re-examining the things that people have been told, Oh, this is just how it is. Well, but why, why does it just have to be that way? Right. You know, what's
0: interesting to me. I read a book and I wish I could, re- I listened to it on audible in this, in a series of, um, I was actually doing like a long trek. And so I, I can't now find this book to quote properly, but I think about the sentiment of it all the time. Um, I think it was 21 lessons for the 21st century, but I'm not positive. But it talked about the baby boomers and how idealistic they were compared to the greatest generation, right? And they came in and they made all of this social change. But in the process of that, they also set themselves up for a lot of systematic financial gain, at least the more privileged of of that generation did. And then they got into those places and they didn't want to lose it. And so, you know, Gen Xers just sort of, you know, did a thing and kind of hung out in their tiny little generation. But as millennials came in um, and really rocked the workforce, and then now as Gen Zs continue to like change and modify, and the pandemic had an effect and all and social justice movements and all these things. But they it the, the book really did a really nice job of, of kind of peeling back the onion to say some of the things that are so locked into place are because baby boomers reached that point through in a lot of ways, a lot of hard work on, on their own part and also a lot mm-hmm. of privilege, but once they had it, they didn't want to lose it. So they worked the system to make sure that they didn't lose it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it makes it that much harder for, for generations that come after it to make the same social changes that were easier for them to make. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really, I'll have to find, I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes. So anyone who's listening <laughs> doesn't think I'm crazy, but, but it was a really good illustration of, oh my gosh, this is this is what happens. We get and we we could be the most idealistic people ever, but once we kind of quote unquote achieve what we think, then then it's all about fear of not losing it, right? Mm. Instead of continuing to want to um, to allow the the standard revolution evolution of of ideals,
1: you know, change over time. That's, that's really interesting. I would be curious to know the text that that came from. Yeah, um, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it when we're off this and, and put it in the show notes and I'll email you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is really interesting. And here's my question around that. Once you've attained a certain point in your life, a certain level of status, financial comfort, um, how much is enough? to where you don't have that fear. I mean we we look at billionaires today for example and how they could really probably never spend their money in their lifetime or their children's lifetimes. Right. And I always have that question of how much is enough, you know, before you just are able to rel- relinquish, surrender and trust that the people that are coming up behind you, or even alongside you, don't want to take from you. They just want equitable opportunity. Right. Right. And I think, but that's, how do you convince people that
0: change is, doesn't mean delineating their worth, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. That's it, that's it feels like any like everyone just wants everything to stay the same. You know, I see it in in kind of my own, my mom is much more progressive than my father, but I see it with my father all the time. He just immediately rejects change. And sometimes, because I'm his little girl, because my mom has her own voice, right? We can talk him into whatever it is we're trying to get to. But his immediate reaction, and and he's right on the cusp of great disgeneration and baby boomer, right? He's technically a baby boomer, but he's an older baby boomer. And so his immediate um, reaction is no change, right? Mm. Like everything stay exactly the same, even that 1990s bathroom in the cabin, right? Like, like don't change anything. And and it's been, a, you know, that the cabin example has actually come up because I'm going to help them this summer refresh the cabin. And it's been a very physical illustration of a philosophical mindset of like, if we just don't make any changes, then I don't have to worry about anything. But the truth is the world's going to change whether you like it or not. Right. Yeah. And so as we think about social movements and, you know, changes in the workplace and a lot of the consulting that I do is around workplace. Um, and when you talk to organizations who are, who's particularly nonprofits, whose boards tend to be the less innovative um, and they're just like, no, no, everything must be the same. We must do the same events. We must do it the same way. And I'm like, you realize you're not raising money from the same people anymore. So yes. if you want to reach those people, you might want to think about new ways to do so, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, what do you see in like your work? I mean, you're out working with clients on on these issues, and obviously, you know, DEI particularly, and I love to eat um, IB. But this has become more, I don't know, talked about, normalized. Um, in the last you know few years I think then then at least at least mainstreamed um, in the last few years than I think previously and you can correct me if your experience is different but um, what are you seeing with your clients in terms of kind of that resistance to change and is it along any particular trend lines
1: so I am uh, I am a very uh, blessed DEIB consultant who I don't encounter a lot of resistance because of the types of clients that I work with. I I am not currently going into large organizations where, you know, someone in leadership has brought me in and then other people are kind of being, uh, I don't want to use the word forced, but that's what's coming to mind, being, you know, being forced to do the work. I am. Told. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working with small business owners, uh, where they have, uh, teams of less than 20 people. Um, I'm working with individual business owners or, um, people who, you know, they're, they're a solo entrepreneur and then they just hire teams of contractors and work with them in that way. So the people that are coming to me currently are coming ready to do the work. I love that. There is is no resistance. So I'm actually very fortunate in that regard. Um, I honestly, so I I started doing this work. And just a quick little backstory of how I even got here is I, I had a photography business, which is still kind of a side thing, but I was working in the wedding industry as a wedding photographer. And one of the things that was the most frustrating for me as a wedding photographer was seeing the mainstream publications in the industry uh representing only one or two types of couples they tended to be straight and white there there was not a lot of diversity <laughs> And having had a background in corporate where I had also been an executive recruiter and heard conversations in, you know, hiring cycles around diversity hires and all of these things that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, And then, of course, my own lived experience being a queer, Black, biracial woman, I I got really vocal as a business owner and a wedding photographer about how it was not okay that there was not more representation in the industry. And I ended up building this really inclusive photography brand that had a range of people from so many different backgrounds and lived experiences. And there were vendors who started asking me how I did it. So I started mentoring people in the wedding industry on how they could create more inclusive wedding businesses. I love that. it became this ripple effect. Then I was working with people outside the industry, creatives, um, small business owners. And now I'm just kind of working across a range. I work with a lot of coaches and consultants and other creatives. So that's how I got to this point, which I think is how I've been able to create a consulting business where people come to me already ready, because everything has been really like, grassroots organic, if you will, in the way that I have approached the work to DEI. And I, I never had any, I guess, aspirations of going into huge Fortune 500 companies and doing this work. Is it a possibility? Absolutely now, but I really just wanted to help people who were active in the communities that they were a part of, mm-hmm. and it's much easier to do when you're working with small business owners and entrepreneurs, as compared to leaders in these huge companies where there's all this bureaucracy. Right. So I there's there's a lot more uh, autonomy and control, and honestly, um, realness in wow. the conversations that I have with my clients and their teams, because. We're, we're not shielded by, you know, corporate speak and what what's appropriate and what's not, you know, we, we get to just be real, honest human beings mm-hmm. and break through all of the BS. And I find it to be more effective than working through a corporate bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I cannot agree with you more. I mean, in general, uh, the way that I think about an experienced um, corporate life was it was full of pageantry. And I, from a very young age have always kind of given, wanted to be arm's length from like it, pageantry for the sake of pageantry, right? Like it felt hollow, it felt pretentious, it felt, I don't know, superficial, whatever the words are. But so when there, it, my experience in corporate life was it was full of all this unnecessary pageantry that got in the way of, or stood between you and a real conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um. What would you say just to, you know, all of all of those folks who who are longing for those kind of meaningful conversations or meaningful change even within their organization? when they do exist in some of these larger organizations? like are there any steps that individuals can do or maybe managers of small teams can do to, you know, if they aren't, you know, bringing you in or, you know, or lucky enough to bring anyone in, like what can, what can people do on a day-to-day basis to maybe help their teams or themselves um, be more inclusive and, and kind of build on belonging?
1: Yeah. One of, one of the number one things that is, that I would recommend is to check with your organization on what is, what is allowed as far as, um, personal development or, or leadership development, because some or, some organizations and corporations do have budgets set aside for leadership where they can get support for leadership development outside of the organization that the organization pays for. Mm. So that's one way to go about it. And then if you're, I mean, if you're really genuinely committed to this work, is there a way in which you can invest if your if your company isn't willing to pay for any sort of leadership development in relation to inclusivity then are you willing to dip into your own budget? You know, are, are, is it possible for you to set aside some finances to invest in some sort of coaching or, you know, books? There's so, so many books and, and uh, resources available. There are classes and workshops available for individuals. I know I offer them. Mm-hmm. And so there are so many different ways that people can engage in this work if it's not available through their organization.
0: Awesome. I love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have tons of resources available. I have a workbook that people can go through on their own. They can purchase master Um, and I have things that are set at different, different tiers based on what people's financial comfort zone is. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Love that.
0: So I, I know that part of um your, I want to switch gears for just a second and I know that part of your non work is um, working with a nonprofit and I'm gonna get the name of it wrong
1: Survival Fit Survivor, Survivor Lit Lit yes tell us about that work and what draws you to that well so uh, unfortunately this this year they have decided to go to just being a a website the founder of the nonprofit it was just too much so unfortunately they're no longer a nonprofit and I'm not on the board anymore as of a couple of months ago. But I got pulled into it. It was actually someone that I knew from the wedding industry who runs a wonderful publication called Equally Wed that serves LGBTQ plus couples looking to get married. And we met at a conference for wedding vendors in 2019. And the organization, the intent of Survivor Lit was really to provide a space for survivors of sexual assault to be able to share their stories and connect with other people and really just have an outlet and a space where they know that they were not alone. And that's something that is, it's very personal to me as a survivor myself. I know what it feels like to feel that isolation and all of the horrid emotions that come with it uh you know shame guilt uh just all all of the discomfort and having an outlet I I I like to write so it was one of those things where I submitted a couple of pieces and she was like please be on my board (laughs) um and it it's there's a lot of really wonderful, um, stories. And there are a lot of pieces on there that people have submitted for their own healing process that I know are supporting other people that are going through their own healing process. So while Mm -hmm. the organization is no longer an official nonprofit, the website is still up. So all of the resources are still there.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Um, when you, uh, you know, how, (laughs) think about what you're going to say here. Um, what, what would you say is kind of the thing that keeps you up at night around any of the work that you're, that you're doing?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. What keeps me up at night? (sighs) Probably the, the thought of always wondering, am I doing enough? Hmm that plagues me. And, and I think that that's, that's been something across anything I've ever done is, am I always, am I doing enough? Um, I, I, and it's not an imposter syndrome thing by any stretch. It's just, there's so much involved in the work itself. And I'm so close to a lot of what I produce and I I always want to know that I am showing up and that I am able to serve people in a way that is supportive and actually effective. And so that's probably my biggest thing is, am I doing enough? Thankfully, I have a lot of really wonderful people around me that are part of my own inner circle and support system that are always kind of checking in on me and reaffirming like, no, you're doing like a lot of things, relax. But it's still one of those, um, one just one of those internal dialogues that, that I honestly struggle with. And it's been an ongoing thing since I was a kid. Am I doing enough?
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I could not uh, be more in line with that. I think all the time I, I have so many, it's, I think a slightly different for me is it's which one of these things should I be focused on? Because I have all of these interests and all of these things that I believe are good for the world or, you know, good for me, but good for the world. And I want to be doing them all and there's just not time for that. So am I I spending my time in the right ways? Am I focusing on the things that are most important? Am I spending too much time on something that is too trivial? And growing as a business owner too, figuring out how to say no to clients that don't serve me has been big because it's part of that same conversation. Like I have to prioritize my time. I have a lot of things I want to do in the world. And um, how do I make sure that I take only clients that bring me, you know, real joy and not just chase the money?
1: Yes, yes. I can relate to literally everything that you just said as a past version of myself. This is why I have a business coach. (laughs) My business coach keeps me focused. You know, don't look at the squirrels, just focus. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Exactly right. Yeah, I, I had to get um, it, a real, um, a, like a solid writing coach to help me move the book from these jagged, unfinished chapters into something that resembles an actual manuscript that can be edited and then, like, you know, put out into the world um, for the same reason, because I just couldn't get my thoughts together in a cohesive way. To, mm. I knew all of the things I wanted to say and all of the ways I wanted to do it, and it was so scattered. Uh, I just needed someone to help me. Just like, what are you doing today? Focus this chapter today.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's important. It's it, and it brings an extra layer of accountability. Whether whether it's a writing coach or a business coach or an inclusivity coach, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it it brings that level of accountability because you're setting out to write a book, right? You, that that is your goal, and it's okay to need support in those arenas. yeah. No matter how great of a writer you are or how great of a human you are, if you really, really want to do something, you probably need some accountability. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So as we start to wrap up,
0: um, I want to end on kind of where are we, you know, I asked about the things that, that kind of keep you up at night. What about where do you feel kind of most hopeful for where we are in the world of, you know, inclusivity, where we are in the world, because there's lots to be, lots of work to be done and lots of of negative, um, you know, swirling conversations out there in the ether. But what about things that make you feel positive and hopeful
1: and inspired? Gen Z. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Oh Oh, man, Gen Z gives me so much hope. (laughs) That's, that's my answer. That's, I it. love it. <laughs> Drop mic. I love, I love it. No, I agree. I agree because the,
0: the, you know, in, in my observation, it's this deep seated need to do good in the world mixed with an actual confidence and mm-hmm. people want to call it entitlement or whatever. I'm okay with all of that. But in the end, we have to have some confidence to buck the system, right?
1: Yeah. And here's the thing. I don't think that it's, raw entitlement right. I think that they are seeing their value as living human beings and they aren't going to take the same crap that the generations before them did they're setting a new standard and I love it yes
0: I I could not agree more
1: <laughs> yeah they, yeah it's great they're not here for the exploitation <laughs> they're
0: not not here for it I'm just not going to be here for it I love it. Well,
1: it has been so wonderful to
0: share part of today with you. And I really appreciate um, all of the work that you're doing and just getting to know you and sharing that uh, with the audience as well. So um, as we wrap up, tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can learn more about your work, um, small businesses that want to bring you in and, and have you work for them. How can, I, um, how can I help promote that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My website, CrystalLily.co. And you can find me on Instagram at Crystal Lily Creative. I'm also on LinkedIn. I have a Crystal Lily Creative page there. And uh, if you have inquiries or questions about working together, you can email me directly at youbelong@crystallily.co Awesome. Well, thank you so much.
0: And um, keep doing the wonderful work that you're doing. And we'll keep cheering in the background for Gen Z.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Melanie. What a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support us by hitting subscribe or providing a rating or review. And as always, how can we help you answer the question, what are you in pursuit of? Find out more at www.inpursuitresearch.org.